You're listening to the Party in My Plants podcast and who lives in a special place down in your gut, your immunity. What? (laughs) Literally, if you want good gut health, if you desire stronger immunity, and if you wish of living in a pineapple under the sea or are at least craving a pineapple right now, you have to keep listening. Welcome to the Party in My Plants podcast, where I make healthy living as fun as a party so you'll, you know, actually want to do it and then actually feel, look, and live your best. I'm your host, Talia Pollock. Now let's get this party started. I am over the moon excited about today's sponsor. Friend, this is my dream sponsor. The, oh my God, is this real life sponsor? The sponsor I've been dreaming about since I was a little girl winning card-giving holidays with her reliable tearjerkers, ending fights with soul-spilling letters left on people's pillows, and surviving college by avoiding all test-taking classes and taking only essay-writing ones. No, this sponsor is not a pen or a computer or those yellow papermate sharp writer number two mechanical pencils that you turn the tip of, which I've used religiously for two decades. This sponsor is the thing I've been writing up to my whole life. It's my book. My first freaking real life will live in stores if stores ever open up again, but can live on your shelf right this second book. Party in Your Plants, which has been called in an Amazon review as the best plant-based book ever, as well as a cookbook that's way more than a cookbook, and a plant party heaven. Readers have also said that it's the best healthy living guide for your kitchen that you must purchase pronto. And so I'm here to tell you that you can promptly purchase Party in Your Plants, 100 plus plant-based recipes and problem-solving strategies to help you eat healthier without hating your life anywhere books are safely and sanitarily sold. Partyinyourplants.com will take you to all the major retailers, or you can just hop your fingers over to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, or Walmart to buy yourself and your best friend and their best friend a coffee today. That's partyinyourplants.com to grab a copy or 19 of my book that Amazon readers say you must add to your cookbook stack ASAP because it gets all the thumbs ups. Well, I had the poop Doc back on the show. My earlier chat with Dr. B was such a breakout hit that it's about time I bring him back again. And this round two was as good, if not better, than last time. You got to let me know. We started off this chat by clarifying right off the bat that Dr. B is more of a tummy doctor than a butt doctor. And then from there, we got straight to his main point. Fiber is sexy. Okay? I originally disagreed, but he convinced me in the end. Dr. B's new book, Fiber Fueled, which is a cousin to my new book as we share the same publisher and we hit bookstores within three weeks of each other, it will change your life and educate you on how your gut actually works. During these times when the coronavirus has shut our world down, it is so important to know that most of your immune system lives in your gut. What? In other words, hurt the gut, hurt your immunity. And in other words, love your gut, rock your immunity. 
Dr. B's goal is to get his info out there and convert the processed food eaters to see the value of plants and start taking better care of their gut health. I think you'll be convinced and highly entertained and maybe blushing if poop is not a topic you usually engage in discussion around. Let's roll the tape and unroll the toilet paper. Dr. B, you're back. Thank you so much for coming on the Party My Plants podcast again. Oh my gosh. It's like incredible honor to be back in the Party My Plants podcast. <laughs> I've been counting down the days and now finally the day has arrived. Forget my book launch. Who cares about that? I've been talking about Party Am I going back on Party My Plants? Get me back on that show. Well, you are back. And, you know, this is actually your third time because I re aired your episode a second time because it was so huge. People loved you. You're the number one most downloaded episode, the number one most raved about episode. When I ask people what your favorite episode is, it's usually you. So no pressure. No pressure at all. Yeah, I don't even know where to go with that. No honestly. pressure. Honestly, can we can we take a phone call and they just tell us <laughs> tell me what to do and I'll do it. Like, do you want me to dance? Do you want me to sing? <laughs> we want you to rap again. That's what we. I want mean, you to don't do. even get me started. We could do that. How much time you got? We could do rappers delight. I'll do the whole thing. It's oh like twenty five minutes long. It's like stairway to heaven. Okay, you do that and I'll do Eminem. Lose yourself, and then we'll close it out. That's a little bit of an angry one. I know. That's, that's a little bit. That's my go-to. a little bit of an angry one. You're getting fired up in front of the mirror when you do that? <laughs> yes, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is, this is a, this is you before you walk out on Dr. Oz. It's like you're in the mirror of, of the studio. <laughs> Mom's spaghetti. <laughs> Gluten-free spaghetti. Okay. Let's start with the basics here. A little recap. For those who are unaware, you're a gastroenterologist. What is a gastroenterologist? Kind of a creepy doctor who, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm going to be honest, this is the place for me to be honest, which is the Party in My Plans podcast, okay? Safe space. Yeah. This <laughs> is a safe space, so I'm just going to be honest. A gastroenterologist is the guy that you really hope your daughter doesn't bring home one day after like two or three dates. Why? <laughs> because the guy, the guy takes care of butts for a living, okay? Mm. So I don't look at you like that. Not you, but like, I'm like, you're a tummy doctor. Oh, that's so much You're nicer. a butt you. doctor? Is that really what it is? Well, I don't actually consider myself a proctologist, which is like a specifically a rectum doctor. I don't really consider myself that. But I could see where some people, if they were angry at me, might point their <laughs> finger and be like, you're a, you're a proctologist, man. <laughs> you're a proctologist. Oh. Right? So, and that would hurt my feelings a little bit because I think of myself as a tummy doctor. Yeah. Oh my God. But why as a gastroenterologist would you be misconstrued as a proctologist? Like, what do you help people with? Don't you help? Well, I'm confused. All right. I guess I should Just flip back into being serious at least for a moment. <laughs> to, to clear up the confusion, I should probably at least get serious for a few moments and explain what I do for a living. <laughs> sure. Which is, uh, so yes, I am a gastroenterologist. I take care of patients who have digestive issues for a living. I take care of people who have problems all the way starting in the esophagus, the esophagus, stomach, small intestine, the colon. Yes, the rectum. That's part of it. Nice. Um, and also the liver, the pancreas, the spleen, you know, all those things. I'm sort of the guy. I'm the expert. And this is what I spend my days doing is helping people with digestive issues and 
now here I am and I have this book Fiber Fueled, which I've brought forward because it's part of partially my own personal journey and partially the experience that I've had with my patients, which has like completely opened my eyes and blown my mind away about how powerful diet and lifestyle can be. Mm. And partially the science that I see that is so powerful and yet I don't hear enough people talking about it. Or if I hear people talking about the gut on the internet, I'm just like, dude, what are you talking about? <laughs> like bone broth. Bone broth is a billion dollar industry. What are you talking about? There's not even a bad study. Give me, give me a study with three people who sip bone broth and they say, I feel better. <laughs> and then you write it down on a napkin and you submit it to a really crappy journal, like the Cook County Journal of you know, Medical Care. And at least that would be a publication that people could say, oh, well, there's this one study that's in the Cook County <laughs> Journal of Medical Care. Come on, people. Like, There's nothing to back up the bone broth. So I felt like I, I needed to get out there and like use my experience, use my background and all that different stuff to kind of open up the conversation and try to give people like some honest like truth when it comes to gut health. Oh, I love that. I love talking to doctors. I love talking to you because you do bring in the studies and the science. I can't even read a study or science. Like I can barely keep track of my rep counts when I'm working out. These numbers and stats and things, I, they just, I can't digest them huh, huh, at all. So to have you here making science and, and studies digestible for us so we can digest better. I mean, really, there's no other place I'd rather be than here right now talking about fiber with you. Well, you know, the thing that's kind of cool about that, Talia, is that under normal circumstances, a study the way that you've described it sounds like it could make for like a really great sleeping pill. <laughs> yeah, right? that's very true. I mean, and then you wake up and you're like, the light is still on in the room and you're drooling on the actual study and like the ink is like smeared on the study because you've been drooling on it. Like there you that's, go. You know, but but then the flip side <laughs> is this. My book, Fiber Fuels, I'm actually really proud of the fact that I, I really honestly believe that when people read this book, they're going to like be excited and they're going to see the way the gut works. And it's like, it's going to click. It's like, oh my gosh, that's how it works. Okay. It makes so much sense. Let's do this. <laughs> but the beautiful thing about it is that like, if you were to pull back the curtain to see, you know, the wizard of Oz, who's hiding behind the curtain, what you would find behind that curtain is 600 studies mm. that went into this book. And I'm the one who did the part where, you know, I was like up late at night, like, you know, hopped up on caffeine. Wait, so you could drink caffeine? It's doctor approved? Oh, well, first of all, let me just come clean. I'm completely biased when it comes to caffeine. What does that mean? It means any study that says the coffee is good for you, I celebrate that study, even <laughs> if it's in the Cook County Journal of Medicine. Okay. Nice. I'll just come clean and admit that. But yeah, actually, I think it is good for you. Okay. How so? Well, I think it's good in moderation, but like meaning that, you know, if you're drinking 64 ounces of coffee in the morning, that's probably not a great idea. Mm -hmm. But, um, but that's with anything. I mean, if you were drinking 64 ounces of carrot juice in the morning, I wouldn't say that's a good idea either. You would glow orange and yeah. it would be kind of creepy. I think I, my mom said I did that as a baby because sweet potato, like mashed sweet potatoes were my favorite thing, mashed sweet potatoes and peas. And she said my hands turned orange. I, I love sweet potatoes so much. Like Willy Wonka style? Yeah, like the exactly. chocolate factory? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
Pretty cool. That's right? impressive. I know. But you know, the thing about coffee that's kind of cool, most people don't realize this. Coffee has these phytochemicals. Phytochemicals means plant-based chemicals. So you only find them in plants. And they actually feed the microbiome. In coffee. Hmm. So coffee has prebiotics. All right. And that's part of the reason why we think it's actually really good for you. Well, thanks, Doc. There you go. Boom. <laughs> Boom. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Okay. So you're attempting to make fiber exciting. You just said, and I underlined it, excited at, with a question mark I wrote down. Excited? You're telling me that you think through your book, Fiber Fueled, people are going to get excited about probably the most unsexy thing ever, fiber. Tell me how you think people are going to get stoked about fiber. <laughs> All right. Well, let me say this. <laughs> excited? Um, yes, that is a fair word, but I, I'm going to go for a different word. I'm going with sexy. <laughs> I'm going with sexy. Wait, did I up. just say that or did you? I you have that right here. Oh, said, okay. Okay. You said unsexy. <laughs> like, and I said, how mind? dare you accuse my beautiful fiber of that? <laughs> Okay. I mean, when I think of fiber, I think of two things. I think of cardboard. I don't know why. Just like that's my visual that comes to mind is just cardboard. Or the thing in I think of the strands and celery stuck in my teeth. Those are the two things that come to my mind. Like if we were playing charades, I'd be if the word was fiber, I'd be like, one word, two syllables, bulls, cardboard. <laughs> I don't so know. If we were playing why. charades, you'd be like, like pretending to pick celery out from your teeth. Yes, and I'm supposed exactly. to know that that means fiber. There you go. And we'd win the night, game night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that's funny because to me, what I think of is the classic image of my grandma stirring the orange drink and, and you knew why she was doing it. It's like, oh, mm. grandma's got to poop again. <laughs> so I want people to delete those memories, please. Could you delete your, those memories of like cardboard? and? Okay. Leave me through <laughs> a guided meditation on this. Here we go. All right. It's impossible for me to make fiber sexy if your mental image of it is cardboard or the celery that's stuck in your teeth. Or like your grandma right constipated. <laughs> or my constipated grandma. But you know, the thing is this. There is some stuff about fiber that you have never heard before and that will blow your mind when you realize that I actually think the biggest secret in all of nutrition comes from fiber. The biggest secret. Like, Why are we wasting our time talking about lectins and this other silly hullabaloo? when we could be talking about fiber. And so there is this special relationship that exists between fiber and the microbes in your gut. They love each other. When when you seriously Aww. when you it's it's as passionate as they come. Wait, okay. what is, what is fiber? Just hold on. What is fiber? Take it from the top. Yeah, take it from the top. So <laughs> all right, fiber is a part of plants. Okay. Plants have a monopoly on fiber. You won't yes. find it in other places. Good. That's great. Good talk. That's a tweetable. There are lots of different types of fiber. We don't even know how many types. We think at least millions, maybe wow. even billions, maybe even billions. Wow. Yeah. And each type of fiber has its own unique properties. Wow. Now, we have been taught that fiber goes in the mouth, passes through the intestine, and then launches out the other end like a torpedo. And like, like takes hmm. things with it, right? Like, you know, takes out the gunk. Exactly. Like sweeps the gunk. Right? Yeah. So, and that, that's kind of true for insoluble fiber mm -hmm. because there's so many types to keep it super simple. We just break it into two main types, insoluble and soluble. What does soluble mean? So soluble means that if you had like, for example, a glass of water and you put the soluble fiber into that glass of water and you stirred it up, it would dissolve. Mm -hmm. 
completely. So it's not grit, it's not roughage. And that fiber, that soluble fiber would dissolve. So insoluble fiber, the roughage, that's the stuff that like sweeps through and it launches out your bottom like a torpedo. <laughs> the soluble fiber though is the stuff that I'm kind of obsessed with. Mm. And we can include resistant starch, by the way, if you've heard that little hot term, resistant starch, or at least hot in my world. No, nope. I've never heard of it. Continue, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, some, pe- some, people, some people might want to rinse the starch off. There's different types of starch. All right, we always think of starches as being like, you know, rice or potatoes or something like that, sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. But there's this type called resistant starch. And what is unique about resistant starch is that it behaves the exact same way that soluble fiber does. Here's what happens with both of these things. Okay. Goes in your mouth, passes through stomach and like 15 feet of small intestine untouched. Like your body has not digested it. It has not been changed. Hmm. And it arrives in the large intestine, which is also called the colon. And when it arrives there, your gut microbes get into a feeding frenzy. And they start going crazy because you are feeding them. You're giving them their food. And this is what they eat. This is what your microbes thrive on. When they eat this resistant starch and soluble fiber, they multiply, they grow, they get stronger. You know, just like we, when we are well nourished, we are our best selves. And if we're starving, we're weak, right? Mm -hmm. Same is true with your microbes. When you feed your microbes, they grow stronger, they multiply. And then what they do. This is the part where it gets like kind of, you know, almost like Harry Potter type magic (laughs) is they pay you back. They pay you back. They're like, thank you, Talia, for that beautiful soluble fiber and resistant starch meal. (laughs) I'm going to pay you back. And the way I'm going to pay you, the currency is short chain fatty acids. Woohoo! Just what I wanted. These are the biggest (laughs) secret in all of nutrition because people talk about leaky gut. Guess what heals leaky gut? Short chain fatty acids. People talk about they want a healthier immune system. Guess what gives you a healthier immune system? Short-chain fatty acids. You're worried about your weight? You need more short-chain fatty acids. I thought it was echinacea. You're worried about (laughs) type 2 diabetes? You need more short-chain fatty acids. You are worried about your brain? You need more of these. They literally spread throughout the entire body, healing everywhere they go. Everywhere they go, they have healing effects. They cross the blood-brain barrier. They go all the way up there. I would say they all go all the way to the tip of your toes, but I don't really know what they're supposed to heal there other than like if you have athlete's foot or something. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> heal that athlete's foot. My dad has athlete's foot. I'll tell him to up his short chain fatty acids. And he's going to look at you with like a strange eyebrow like, huh? And I'm going to say you got to eat more soluble fiber and resistant starches, dad. Boom. That's what it is. And that's chapter three. And then when he says, how, what would I tell him? Well, you get these things from plants. So all plants, all plants contain soluble fiber. They all do. And they all have their own types. Now we've heard of like specific ones like Jerusalem artichokes and asparagus and leeks. You know, we've heard that they're like, those are the ultimate source of prebiotics. Mm -hmm. But actually every plant has prebiotic fiber. I think one of the important points is that like, let's just take black beans, for example. You eat black beans. There are specific bacteria inside your gut that are going to thrive, they're going to multiply, and they're going to get stronger because you just ate black beans because black beans have specific fiber. Like its own unique brand of fiber. Its own unique brand, Uh which is different than if you were to eat broccoli or to eat quinoa. Well, this is why you really hit it home in our last episode about diversity of plants, right? Dang, girl, dang. I know. 
I was listening. <laughs> you were more than listening. You you know what? Honestly, if you wanted to, you could have stole you could have like literally taken my book idea because that is chapter four of my book. Diversity. Which is diversity plants. Because the number one predictor in that study, which was the American Gut Project, the number one predictor of a healthy gut is the diversity of plants in your diet. And this is the way that it works is each plant has its own community of bacteria that thrive off of that plant. So when you eat a diversity of plants, you are helping as many different types of bacteria as you possibly can. And we know that the name of the game when it comes to gut health is diversity. Mm. So the more diversity you have in your gut, the healthier your gut is, the more diversity of plants that you have in your diet, the more you'll be able to accomplish that. Makes a lot of sense. But it's not like that's what you see in the headlines. Yo, want a healthy gut diversity? <laughs> it's going to be in the headlines. I mean, basically, it needs to be in the headlines because, you know, with my book, people are going, I think people are going to see how powerful this is. And it applies to all of us. You know, it doesn't matter what sort of dietary background you come from. No matter who you are, this is the key to developing a healthy gut. And if you think that gut health matters, which I do, it's, it's more, you know, I mean, obviously it's, it's more than digestion. It's the immune system. It's our hormones. It's our metabolism. It's our brain and the way that it works, our cognition, our mood. It's even the way we express our genes, like all that stuff from coming from one place. Hell man, gut health is like where it's at. <laughs> where it's at. So explain that a little bit more. If, if people don't understand the importance of gut health, because I really think many people don't, unless you are as lucky as I am to have a very sensitive stomach. And it's been that way my entire life. You know, I've had to learn the importance of gut health. It's It's been my major driving force every single day. All my life decisions literally stem around my gut. And that's made me both a more, a he much healthier person because my gut loves healthy stuff, you know, both lifestyle and, and also my mind and food, obviously. But it also has made me amazingly a more intuitive person because my gut talks to me about life decisions and all that kind of stuff too. But if somebody listening hasn't been blessed with a very sensitive IBS stomach like me, convince them that their gut matters too. Because it's kind of one of those things where like, if you're not struggling with it, you know, like if the check engine light's not on in your car, you're not really going to be inclined to like give it a checkup. Sure. No, I and I totally get that. But the reality is that we all want that longevity. We all want that health span, you know, basically meaning that when I'm 70, 80, 90, I still want to be dancing, <laughs> right? I still want to be able to have fun with my grandkids. And in order for that to happen, I need that longitudinal health. I need that sort of health that's going to stick with me through the decades. Mm -hmm. And when we think about our gut, of course, we think of digestion. And you, you spoke to that yourself. You, I mean, you basically said, look, I have, I have your role bowel. And because of that, I have to be careful about what I eat. So, I mean, that's the most obvious place to start. But mm -hmm. then we need to branch out. We need to talk about the fact that 70% of the immune system lives in the gut. That is something, especially right now. We're recording this in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. 
okay, people, 70% of our immune systems in our gut. I mean, can you say more about that? Like, how does that even, I don't even know why that doesn't really make sense, but it really doesn't. Like, I think, I guess I think, I guess I don't know where I thought our immune system was, but yeah. like, I never thought it in my tummy. The immune system is like this nebulous thing. Like, oh my gosh, what's the home base? You right, know, yeah. and, and we never really thought that actually the home base turns out to be the gut. I guess I thought it was like more, I don't know where I thought it was. Yeah. All right. Can I tell you something kind of weird? Please. As if I have, I mean, you know, I tell you weird stuff all the time anyway, Please. but <laughs> um, the gut is actually an outward facing structure, which sounds really weird to say because we call it our bowels and it implies that it's like the deepest part <laughs> of humanity, right? <laughs> but it's actually an outward facing structure because it's a tube. And so food that goes in your mouth is still considered to be part of the environment as opposed to inside of you. So your gut microbes, your microbiome inside of your gut is actually on the outside in the same way that your skin microbiome is or your mouth microbiome or in women, a vaginal microbiome. It's it's all on the outside. It's not actually inside of your body. Hmm. So this is the place, the gut, where we truly interact with the outside world. Wow. And because of that, we need our immune system to be there to be prepared and to protect us. And that's why it makes sense that 70% of the immune system lives in the gut because that's where we're actually interfacing with the outside world. But what is an immune system? I guess I'm like confused because it's not like an organ. Like what is an immune system? Well, I, you know what? We could call it an organ. We could call it an organ because, I mean, it is and it serves a purpose and it can be healthy or it could be unhealthy, okay? But what what is the immune system? The, the immune system is your army. Yeah, okay. It's your army, okay, that protects you. And we use the word inflammation. You know, it's a very mm -hmm. trendy word. It's very hot right now. Very hot. Yeah. Um, not as hot as fiber is, well. <laughs> fiber is sexy, okay? <laughs> All right, so fiber is sexy, which does Which is better than hot. hot, yeah. It's better than hot. It's better than hot. But, you know, we use this word inflammation. So I want people to kind of understand like what this word really is about. Inflammation basically means activation of the immune system. So now let's pretend that you have this coronavirus. Okay. I really don't like pretending that, but fine. Not you personally. Oh, let's one. pretend that some third party person okay. has coronavirus. Like, <laughs> thanks. Yeah. And, you know, in that setting, this person has an infection, you want the immune system to react. Mm -hmm. You need the immune system to step up and try to drive the infection out. Mm -hmm. And so this is where inflammation comes in. We actually evolved as humans through millions of years of evolution to have an immune system that would basically activate when there's a threat mm -hmm. and protect us. All right. And so, and we needed that when we were evolving because we would run into infections that could potentially harm us. Mm -hmm. But the problem is in the 21st century, remove ourselves from the COVID-19 crisis for a moment, return to normal life again, because mm -hmm. we are going to be going there eventually. And, you know, in the 21st century, we are creating things that activate our immune system and we call it inflammation when we don't really need it. We don't need the immune system to step up and start mm -hmm. activating and start doing its thing for like day-to-day -day routine life. We don't right. need that. And, you know, when you live 70, 80, 90 years, that sort of routine activation of the immune system throughout our day to day, it starts to add up. It ages us. Yeah. It ages us and it can hurt us. So, you know, what we want is we want an immune system that's really primed and optimized. I like to wear, use the word optimized. Yeah. Because there is like we hear, you know, people talk about, oh, like you want more immune system, like strengthen the immune system, make it bigger. 
I've never heard bigger. Well, like I hear like, um, you know, super immunity, mm-hmm. right? It makes it sound bigger. When in fact, what you want is you want, you don't want necessarily like super. What you want is optimized. You want precise, targeted. Like a SWAT team. Like a SWAT team, like, like, like something that's going to like, like a missile. I remember, gosh, this is getting kind of weird again. I apologize. But I remember my dad used to tell me about, um, in the operation desert storm back in the early nineties that they had these new missiles that the army was using where they could like literally fly down the street of Baghdad and take a left-hand turn, you know? And that's, (laughs) that's what I'm talking about. Like we want something that is so precise that it can identify the target and basically go down the street, take a left-hand turn and get to what it needs, where it needs to go. Yeah. It's like the difference between like, what's that movie with, um, Kevin James, Paul Blart mall cop. (laughs) I'm talking about he like rides a Segway in a mall. He's a mall. Did it that go straight to video? Did it that go Probably. straight to video? Probably. I think they made a second one too. It's like Paul Blart or something mall cop versus a SWAT team. That's how I'm looking at this now. Yes. Kevin James no. on a Segway in a mall cop outfit versus ninjas. Right. That's oh, what we exactly. want. There you, we go. We want the ninjas. <laughs> we want the ninjas. And the other thing that you want is you don't want to go overboard and be excessive. Mm-hmm. Because excessive, most people don't realize, I don't know if you've heard of like this idea of the cytokine storm. Have you heard of that? No. Okay. It sounds really cool. Cytokine storm. It's like, oh, dang, that sounds kind of cool. It's not. It's not. Trust me. You don't want this. It it basically means that your your immune system has gone nuclear. Like it's just like straight up like, okay, all hands on deck, like Tony Montana, say hello to my little friend. (laughs) And like, you're just like unloading the gun, everything that moves. And the problem is that when that happens, in the body, you hurt yourself. So in the lungs, it, the lungs would start to fill up with fluid and you get what's called acute respiratory distress syndrome, which is ARDS. ARDS is what actually is requiring all the ventilators with the virus. It's not the virus itself. Uh-huh. It's uh-huh. actually the immune system that overreacts to the virus in some people and can actually cause harm to the, to the body, including our lungs. So what we want is we want targeted. We want precise optimized. Okay. Just, just to swoop in here with some fact checking, it was yeah. indeed called Paul Blart mall cop came out in 20, 2009 with, um, Kevin James and it boxed office $183 million. Dear heavens. Yeah. There you go. Dear heavens. I wish I could be There's like your a study um, doc. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was like a very low level producer on that movie because I would be Far more affluent right now. There than you I go. Am. That maybe you should go into that. No. I shouldn't have been trashing it. Here <laughs> I am, you know, doing colonoscopies for a living. <laughs> oh my god, it's so funny. Okay, so but but based on what you're saying, then okay, so if the immune system, yep, is in the gut, or seventy percent of it is related, yep. is based on our gut health. Can you can you say that? Is that fair? Actually, that's completely fair, and I okay. love that because if you were to zoom in on the gut. Like with a microscope, what you would see is this single layer of cells, and on one side is 39 trillion microbes, and on the other side of that single layer of cells is 70% of your immune system. So they are literally physically right next to each other, and they're also in constant communication with each other. You cannot separate them. So if you hurt the gut, you hurt the immune system. It's really true. So then, I mean, I don't know if I could ask you this. I asked my husband if this was an appropriate question. I don't know why I needed to ask him that. But is that to say then that somebody with a healthier gut has a higher 
chance of fighting coronavirus? Well, so I don't want to go so far as to... That's why I didn't know if it was appropriate. Well, it's appropriate. I, honestly, I'm a poop doctor. So I thought when you said, like, I don't know if this I is appropriate, I figured <laughs> we're going to be talking about poop. <laughs> that's fair. Because <laughs> that's usually where that goes. But um, <laughs> I think the reality is this. This is the way that I would say it. Because we don't have the studies necessarily right. specific to the coronavirus. The way that I would frame it is this. Number one, you don't want to get the virus. All right. And the way that you protect yourself from the virus is through physical distancing and also washing your hands like crazy. Mm-hmm. But if hypothetically you got the virus, you want an optimized immune system. Mm-hmm. And there was this one study, Talia, that they looked at a high fiber diet versus a low fiber diet in, it was using influenza. And it was, by the way, it wasn't in humans, it was in mice because you can't, you can't do this study in humans because you have to infect people with influenza. They, they can't do that. Mm. So in mice, they looked at high fiber versus low fiber. And they found actually that the mice that got the high fiber diet, they lived longer. They had less issues with their lungs. And when they actually measured how well their lungs were working, they were objectively better. Mm-hmm. And the, the um, researchers in the study actually had to circle back because they were shocked by the result. They really didn't think that was the way it was going to play out. And so they circled back to ask the question, why? why? Why is the high fiber diet so much better? Here's what they found. I mean, I, I know I've already said, I think fiber is sexy. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. I'm going back guys to my notes. Can Does it this. have to deal with short chain fatty acids? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Okay. Spoiler. Fantastic. So spoiler alert, but you know, before <laughs> I really fully divulge, I want people at home, if you need to get a fan, all right, or if you need to turn <laughs> the air conditioning on, I want you to go ahead and do that right now. Okay. Hit the pause button, go get a fan and-, and Try to keep yourself cool as I unveil what I'm about to say, okay? Which, which is that fiber, in this study, fiber fed the gut microbiome. The gut microbiome consumed that soluble fiber and turned it into short-chain fatty acids. The short-chain fatty acids actually went to the lung. Oh, right, because they'll go anywhere, even your toes. Even to your toes, even to that athlete, that yeah. stinky, disgusting athlete's foot. Yeah. No offense to your father-in-law. Father. Sorry. (laughs) It's, I don't know if it's athletes, but he's something going on there. Anyway, something funky there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so, but the short chain fatty acids went to the lungs and here's what they did. I think this is really cool by the way, but I'm a nerd. They recruited the right cells. There's these cells in the immune system. Cause Talia, it's like having different types of soldiers, Mm -hmm. right? You get Marines and Navy and and army, right? Mm Mm-hmm. In this study, the short-chain fatty acids recruited the right type of cells to fight the virus, which are called CD8 cells for the nerds at home. Shout out to the nerds. They recruited those cells. You're getting the right soldiers on the battlefield. You're putting up the fight. Okay? But we want to avoid going nuclear. Mm -hmm. And so what do you do? The short-chain fatty acids actually took the rest of the immune system and said, oh, guys, chill out. Chill out. This is not your fight. They're like, hold me back. Hold me back. (laughs) And the short-chain fatty acids were holding them back. So wow, talking about what? a precise, optimized immune system, precise and optimized means the right guys in the fight putting up the fight against the virus without having to worry that your immune system is going to go nuclear and end up hurting you in the process and causing ARDS. Wow. She thinks my fiber is sexy. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's, I mean. Forget Billy Ray Cyrus. She thinks just... my tractor is sexy. We're talking fiber yeah. now. 
Oh my God. Wait, that's perfect. I don't know that song, but I feel like I should. I mean, I would, I've rapped on your first episode. I would go country in round two, but I don't think that the. the I mean, country is my favorite that. genre, so I really should get on that, that song. I think, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to get into that song. But, <laughs> okay. So just because of fiber, though? That was just because of fiber, because that's literally all that they were doing that was different was one was getting high fiber and one was getting low fiber. And again, the, the investigators are like, they had to circle back. They're like, investigate. I just love how you said investigators. I'm thinking like cops or like FBI agents. Bad the boys, investigators. Bad boys. What you going to do? Yeah. What they're like, whoa, I can't they believe it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so they had, they had to circle back because they thought, they thought going in, their theory was, oh, well, fiber is anti-inflammatory. So because fiber is anti-inflammatory, it's going to suppress the immune system and you can't even fight the virus. So like no soldiers are going to come out to play. Yeah. No, the soldiers like will be like playing cards in the barracks, you know, right. <laughs> while the while the virus is tearing through. But the fiber helped it pick the right ones. And get them on the, get them on the, the field. other ones. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then what would you define as having a high fiber diet versus a low? How does one know what their diet counts as? So... You know, that's a great question. And because we've been raised and trained to count grams of fiber. No, we, what? No. I feel like we were. Who, you? Maybe me. Yeah. Maybe me. I thought you were (laughs) being funny. You, you count your gram. I don't even. No, I I actually don't. That's the funny thing is like, I I feel like everyone worries about, oh, how many grams of fiber do I need? That's what I hear people say. Maybe. Okay. Maybe like, maybe in your neck of the woods. Maybe it's like the macro people. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I didn't know that. Maybe I'm glad that you don't. I'm glad that you don't because honestly, I want to teach people, the people listening to the party in my plants podcast the right way, which is don't count grams of fiber, count diversity of plants. There you go. Get as many different varieties of plants as you possibly can. And it's very simple. Like, you know what? Like I could, I could give you so many examples. All right. I'll give you an example from my kitchen, Okay. which is that we as a family will often have like, we'll have pasta with tomato sauce, right? Mm-hmm. And you could do whole wheat organic pasta with tomato sauce, and that's two plants and it's not much. Or you could throw in some onions, some garlic, maybe some zucchini, and then smash some basil and some parsley on top. And next mm-hmm. thing you know, it's like, bang, you just, you just went up to seven plants, mm-hmm. like out of nowhere. So, or you can open up <laughs> nowhere <laughs> just happened. Well, and the other thing that you could do is open up the, um, the Bible for plant foods, which is, I'm looking at it right here. It's called party in your plants. Okay. <laughs> and you open up the Bible. There's a lot in there. And you pick a page, pick a page. And look, I'm just, I randomly opened up and I got the avocado DGAC creamy pasta. There you okay? go. And this has got basil and One, spinach two, and avocado three, and garlic. Four. It's got lemon juice. Five. I don't know if you count the crushed black pepper or not, but we got at least five. Yeah. And you're looking at a delicious meal, but then you're cooking this and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to kick this up another notch. And you slam some mushrooms in there. Yeah, or tomatoes. Or tomatoes. or I mean, you just have so many choices. You just add one or two more. But when you get that plant-based diversity, you know who is the happiest? Your gut. Yeah. Your gut your gut microbes are so happy and they just they want to thank you and they want to pay you back and the way they pay you back the currency is short chain fatty acids. 
So sweet of them. Can you measure or count, not me, but like a, a smart person like you, short chain fatty acids? Like, is that a, a quantifiable thing? It's quantifiable in a lab, mm-hmm. you know, when they're doing these research studies. And, you know, the fascinating thing is when I keep saying that they're the currency, they really are the currency. It's quite fascinating. So, like, Talia, when you go to exercise, mm. believe it or not, exercise changes your gut. Yes. Tell me more, a lot more about that, please. Okay. Uh, how much time? Yeah, we could spend two or three hours on this topic if you want. Wow. No, did you talk about it in your book? <laughs> well, yeah, I did talk about it in the book. What's cool, there's an, actually an entire section in my book where I talk about there's ways to heal your gut without even lifting a fork. <laughs> I like that. So if I take a person like you, right? And you and you basically, you're telling me like, look, doc, I got IBS. I do. And it, doc, it is acting up right now. It is in the struggle bus. We're quarantined. I have a book coming out in a number of hours. I, you know, my, my, my IBS is singing out loud. So. Yeah. Right. And so when your IBS is really active, the hardest thing to do, honestly, is with your diet, because that's the stuff that makes you hurt. Mm -hmm. Right. So what you want is you want ways that you can take control of your gut and start to heal your gut without having to just approach it from a dietary perspective. Like you and I, we talk about diet so much. We talked about it the first episode. We've been talking about it all the way up to right now on this episode. But what are the things that you can do to heal your gut without even having to lift a fork? And one of the things that you can do is exercise. And in the studies, what they found is that exercise actually changes your gut in a way where you produce more short-chain fatty acids. That's wild. How? All exercise? Tell me everything. Okay. So you know how I say diversity of plants, right? Ooh, diversity of of sweat, of exercise. Diversity of sweat. (gasps) Diversity wow. of exercise. Yes. So it goes back to, I don't, did you ever do the original P90X? Yes. Oh, I really want to get Tony Horton on the podcast. Oh, I, I mean, I love that guy. I'm obsessed oh, with I him. Know. So, and he doesn't even know who I am. But I, anyway, me, me. I actually, no, I, I've met him. I did a, I just remembered this. I went to the Omega Institute with him like 10 years ago, eight years ago for like a weekend. And it was just like a small group thing. And we did our best and forgot the rest. And clearly I forgot that happened. It was a magical, like long weekend. That sounds really cool, awesome. actually. I love him. Anyway. <laughs> so, well, so anyway, you remember the original P90X was all about muscle confusion, Mixing it right? Up. Yes. And the idea was, well, you have to work in different types of exercises to make yourself stronger. And what's that interesting is when they've, lo- they've looked at changes to the gut microbiome with different types of exercises, different ones have a different effect. So let me give you an example. This is really, I mean, this is, uh, it's just like crazy. So they looked at distance runners. And, you know, one of the things that you need when you're a distance runner is you need the ability to um, break down lactic acid Mm -hmm. because the lactic acid is what builds up in your muscles, makes you fatigued, and makes you stop running. And the fascinating thing is that they found that distance runners actually had a specific bacteria in their gut designed to break down lactic acid. In their gut? Yes. And so this bacteria was actively working to prevent the buildup of lactic acid in the body. And they have since like basically flipped into this new idea, which is, hey, I wonder if we could like bottle that up into a capsule Uh. and turn people into great athletes. And I'm like, if you guys do that, I want to be the first to try it. (laughs) Get me that capsule. Oh, that's funny. That's I was actually I just written down to ask you. um, It's interesting that people are even doing a study like that because there is no financial gain. But if is that really something they were thinking or is that a joke? 
No, they really were thinking that. Well, the financial gain, so the original study was just to look at the microbiome. But then when they discovered this, a couple of savvy people said, hey, there's something here. Yeah, it's like it's like probiotics specifically for runners, lactic acid. For a runner. Yeah, wow. Exactly. Like you're going to go and you're going to do this 10k or something like that, pop this probiotic for, you know, a week before. <laughs> so I think the bottom line is your gut actually adapts to whatever you're doing and it's altered by your lifestyle. It's not just altered by your diet. Your diet is probably the dominant driver. Well, yeah, cuz it goes in there all day, every day. Exactly. Yeah, pounds of food per day. Mm. But exercise and sleep and time-restricted eating. Yeah, talk to – okay, wait. We'll go back to time-restricted eating. I'm writing that down. But I just want to go back to exercise for a second. So when you say diversity of exercise or diversity of sweat or muscle confusion, I mean, P90X and the workouts that I currently do, it's like, you know, one day's upper body focused, one day's lower body focused, um, back, whatever. Is that diverse enough? Or are we talking more like running one day, yoga the next day, you know, weights the third day, like how diverse are we talking here? I think you break it down on all levels. So what I would say is this, number one, you're doing weights. Don't always do the same routine. Mm -hmm. You got to mix it up. And that's, that's really what P90X was about was like, okay, now we're going to mix it up and do this now, Mm -hmm. right? We're going to hit it from this angle. And when, before we hit it from that angle. And then I think that, you know, if you're talking about cardio, don't always run right? Look at alternative choices. Maybe you should row. Mm -hmm. Maybe you should swim. So look at alternative choices within within the specified type, but then also make sure that you're getting all the different types of exercise. So yes to weights, but also yes to cardio. It's really, really interesting. I've never heard this before in terms of how it affects our gut. That's, this is this is really interesting. (laughs) I mean, no, I I totally agree. I think think it's absolutely fascinating. Wow. Yeah. While we're on the topic of making healthy eating a whole lot less hellish, although that's what we're always on the topic of here on the Party My Plants podcast, one of my favorite essential non-helly healthy staples, as you probably know by now, is Amazing Grass Greens Powder. And I am so excited that Amazing Grass is sponsoring this podcast episode. I truly, honestly, wholeheartedly adore Amazing Grass's amazing grasses, which I'm sure you're well aware of if you follow me on Instagram. Their green superfood powders are an insanely tasty blend of nutritious greens, phytonutrient-packed fruits, veggies, grasses, digestive enzymes, and probiotics that I can't and I don't want to live without. And it just so happens that one of the kitchen tools I'm going to outline in today's episode is the vehicle through which I enjoy amazing grass amazing. To make Amazing Grass even more amazing, they're offering Party in My Plants podcast listeners 40% off. Yes, 40%, not just some measly 10%, 40% off. That's almost half off your Amazing Grass order. If you go to their website, amazinggrass.com, and use coupon code PLANTPARTY40 at checkout. That's PLANTPARTY40 at checkout on amazinggrass.com. Okay, talk to me about timing, the time of day in which we eat and how time-restricted time eating. Talk to me. Is that – are you referring to like intermittent fasting? Yeah, a lot of people call it intermittent fasting. I mean, to me, you know, intermittent fasting is a very broad term that can mean so many different things, right? It might mean that like, you know, I fast one day a week, whereas to me, time-restricted eating is a daily lifestyle practice. Okay, and what do you recommend for that? I When I hear intermittent fasting, I first of all, I can't say intermittent 
did I just say it right? I don't even know how to say it correctly. It kind of felt like your tongue was kind yeah, of like fighting it's, with it's it a, a little bit. <laughs> how do you, it's, a, it's a tough word. Intermittent? That, um, that was too, too forced. It was a little bit too forced. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, uh, let me tell you, I'll, I'll take this one, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So intermittent fasting. Um, wow. So, you just blurred all the, the letters there. Don't, don't be turning the table on me. <laughs> I don't like that word because I can't say it. And also IF. fasting. Can we call it IF? Perfect. Fasting stresses me out. It makes right. me angry we'll agree when I hear fasting. So what, I think you had a question about IF. Yeah, what my question want? was, oh, my thing was I don't like the term for multiple reasons. And what do you do, recommend for time-restricted eating? Okay. So the thing with time-restricted eating is I think most people have heard of the idea of like hours, right? Like 12, 13, 14, 16 hours. Mm-hmm. I think the part that people are really missing that I want to get across to the party in my plants, PIMP audience, Mm -hmm. is timing. Timing is really important. It's about circadian biology. What that means is what time of day do you initiate this process? Okay. And here's my point. Eating dinner at 11 p.m. and then fasting for 12 hours is not the same as eating dinner at 6 p.m. and fasting for 12 hours. Mm. Timing matters. And one thing that's really interesting that I learned as I was researching my book is that all life on this planet, literally every single thing that is alive, has a circadian rhythm. Every single thing, whether it's a plant, whether it's you and I, human, or whether it is the microbes that live inside of our gut. Wait, can you just define circadian rhythm, please? The sun goes up and it comes down every day. Mm-hmm. All right. And so there is these, this variation from day to day that is built into that rhythm of the sun going up, rising and falling. And all life on the planet has adapted with that being a part of its identity is that the sun comes up and then it goes down and it goes dark. And so circadian rhythm basically means that you have a rhythm to your daily routine that can vary based upon the time of day. Let me give you an example. And this, to me, even as a doctor, kind of, I'm like, whoa, that's interesting. (laughs) Not interesting to the point that I would take like 10 minutes to tell your crowd to get a fan and turn on the air conditioning, but pretty interesting. (laughs) Okay. It's like perk up. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty interesting. All right. So the thing that's interesting is that I could eat literally the exact same meal, make it, let's just call it oatmeal and berries. You could eat it for breakfast. And you could eat it for dinner. It's the exact same meal, same calories, and it will have different effects on your body. People who eat that meal later in the day are more insulin resistant, meaning more like they have diabetes. And they spike their blood sugar harder and they release more insulin as a result of that. My point is that timing of when you eat actually matters. Hmm. So, when you think of time-restricted eating, everyone knows, oh, I got to do X number of hours. I got to do 12, 13, 14, 15, whatever. What I want you to think about, I want you guys, the PIMP crowd, to be next level, <laughs> way smarter, which is that it's not just hours. It's what time do you do it? Mm. And what you want is you want an early dinner, like you know, six o'clock. If you're going to have your delicious dessert, I'm going to flip to the back of the party in your plants book. There's a lot of great options over here. Yeah. Delicious desserts. Yeah. Got a bunch of those. If you're going to have your delicious dessert, do it then. 
Okay. Do it then. Don't do it at nine o'clock at night. Mm. Have your dinner and then make your rule, hard rule, strict water, strict water fasting after dinner, after dessert. So that basically from that point forward, you've actually started this process of time-restricted eating. And the reason why it's great for the gut is that all life on this planet has a circadian rhythm. Your gut wants to rest. Mm -hmm. Your gut wants to rest. And when it rests, it's given an opportunity to reset and get stronger and then be even healthier the next day. And what we see is that when people extend this out, you know, 12 to 14 to 16 hours, you start to see added benefit in terms of metabolic benefits, better for controlling your weight, better for controlling your blood sugar, reducing your risk of type 2 diabetes. And then we also think it has cardiovascular benefits. And then finally, we see that it has benefits for your gut. So the point from my perspective is this. This is the way I do it. I'll just tell, let me just come clean and tell you guys what I do. Yes, please. And yeah, because I'm curious what time you eat in the morning then. Okay. So I'm usually not a big breakfast guy except on the weekends. Oh. So what I typically do is I have my dinner, all right? And I try to have dinner at a reasonable time, like six o'clock with my family. And then I go into water fast mode, all right? So like by 6.30 or 6.45, I've started my process. I'm water fasting. I try not to snack or have any alcoholic beverages. Once in a while, hell yeah, I'm having a glass of wine. Hell yeah, you have that glass of wine. All right. Does wine count as plants? I mean, it's definitely a plant. There you go. Okay. Diversity. Well, you know, kind of cool. I mean, (laughs) real quick on on that comment, Talia, wine contains resveratrol. Resveratrol is actually prebiotic. It's actually good for the gut. Great. So there are studies that show us, and I'm not sitting here and saying that we should all drink wine every single day. I think that's exactly what you're saying. Uh, okay. Well, then I, <laughs> <laughs> can I run away and hide before I have to face up to what it says in my book? No, no. <laughs> all right. Well, then don't read that part of the book. When you guys get to that page, just skip it. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, but no, it is cool. Um, wine does contain resveratrol, which is prebiotic. So, well, we already talked about how coffee contains prebiotics. Mm-hmm. I like to have at least 12, if not 13 hours between dinner time and when I have my coffee. So what that means is that if I have done dinner and I'm done before 7 p.m., then I'm like totally green light to have my coffee at 7 o'clock the next morning. Yeah. And that's what breaks your fast. That kind of breaks the fast because anything that's not water is going to kind of break the fast. Mm-hmm. But And then I usually don't have breakfast and I'll have a, usually a snack or just wait until lunch. So by snack, like many times I'll bring a couple pieces of fruit with me to work and I'll have a piece of fruit at like 10, 30 or 11 when I'm starting to get hungry and my, and my stomach's making weird noises. I'll do that. Yeah, it'd be pretty weird if you're helping other people with their stomachs and yours is making weird noises. That'd be a little awkward. You know, I'm human, okay? <laughs> but also I'm as a perfect. human, how do you look up people's butts or whatever you're doing with the butts and then have an appetite? Can we discuss that for a moment, please? That's weird. Uh, there, there are so many things about what I do for a living that you could accuse me of being weird. I mean, we kind of led off the top of the show and initially, I mean, just, just to be honest, Talia, in the beginning of the show, you were actually defending me. I just wanted to point that out. And now you're trashing me. (laughs) You know, I I loosened up a bit. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, you know, yeah. So sometimes, I mean, look, sometimes I'm in clinic and I'm, I'm making some funny noises and I'm not proud of it, but I'm human. Okay. I'm human. <laughs> Do you have your own gut doctor? 
You know, it's funny though. I don't know if I ever talked about this on the first episode. So let me just get it in here real quick. Yeah, sneak it in. Yeah, I'll sneak this in there. <laughs> this for me, my my whole story started when I had my own health issues. Mm. Like I know for you, it was the same too. Yeah. So I had my own health issues and, you know, I'm a normal guy. So I'm vulnerable to the same problems as anyone else. I grew up on like a diet filled with hot dogs and cold cut subs. And I always ate that way. And I never imagined, it's not like I sat there and thought my diet was great. It's more so like, this is the way I've always been eating. So why would I suddenly be unhealthy because of this? And I gained 50 pounds. This was like 10 years ago. Mm. I gained 50 pounds. I had high blood pressure. I had an anxiety issue. I had like extreme fatigue to the point that I was, I, I mean, it sounds cool to say it this way, but it really wasn't that cool. I mean, I should have been sponsored by Red Bull because I was just like smashing them <laughs> everywhere. And, um, you know, and I, and I didn't know how to fix myself, even though I'm a medical doctor mm. and it wasn't until I found, I mean, honestly, it's when I met my wife Aww. and she ate differently than me. She ate a plant-based diet oh. and I saw that she ate without restriction and she had complete control over her weight, but she was like, you know, I mean, she was eating a ton of food Yeah. and I go, wow, that's interesting. And as a guy who's like kind of nerdy, I needed the science to be there to back it up. Mm-hmm. I'm the kind of guy, if the science is not there, I'm not fully on board. So I went to go look for the science because I was like, well, haven't I heard anything about this? And when I found it, I was like, oh my gosh, there's not just like a couple hundred studies, there's thousands. Yeah. Wow. So, and so I made those changes and I lost 50 pounds. Wow. And, you know, so for me, you could say, oh, well, it wasn't necessarily a gut issue. Like I didn't have classic irritable bowel syndrome. Mm Mm-hmm. But I had issues that started in my gut. It's just that for me, it was anxiety. It was weight gain. It was high blood pressure. And when I fixed my gut and when I got on a plant-based diet, all those things magically went away, like effortlessly. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. That's perfect because I was going to ask you this, that you posted something on Instagram about how when our gut is damaged, it can often manifest as anxiety or depression. I thought it was the other way around. Like I've always said that my stomach hurts when I'm feeling anxious, but you're telling me that a unhealthy gut can actually make you more anxious or depressed. Oh, no question about it, which is exactly why you can give a person who has anxiety and depression a probiotic in their gut and actually improve the anxiety and depression. Waboom. So yeah, get off of me, people. (laughs) Wow. But no, in all seriousness, though, it's a two-way street, Talia. It's a two-way street. So it's not just one thing causing this. Mm -hmm. It's actually that there's complete, constant communication between the gut and the brain. Nonstop, your gut has 500 million nerves. 500 million nerves. nerves. And that is five times more. A lot of nerves, that gut. (laughs) 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 And that is five times more than you have in your spinal cord. And all those nerves are constantly feeling and sensing and giving information back to your brain. But your brain has the ability to make your gut really upset Mm -hmm. when you get stressed. Right. And so it's a a two-way street. What you're describing is completely factual and accurate, which is that your your emotional state can manifest in your gut. Mm -hmm. But the opposite is true too, which is that damage to your gut can alter your emotional state. Wow. So it's just all about the gut. I honestly believe that. And, you know, there's some stuff like there are other things that exist in the body. It's not literally just the gut, all the gut 24 hours a day. But I honestly believe when you look at like all these problems that are existing in our culture, 
from a health perspective, I honestly believe that if I could have one thing for people, it would be to heal their gut. Okay. Here's a really good question I just thought of. How do you know? How does one know if they have a healthy gut? So it's a good question because we don't have a test to say that. But I honestly think that, you know, we can look intuitively at the way that we feel. So when your gut is healthy, you're digesting your food, you're enjoying your food, you're having effortless bowel movements. How do you know if you're digesting your food? Well, what I what I really mean is you're not having like a lot of gas bloating, okay. distress, you know, diarrhea, constipation after a meal okay. that you're able to eat with minimal to no restriction. Got it. And actually enjoy it. And then have a good like healthy bowel movement. I honestly think that bowel movements like, you know, most people are not super comfortable talking about it, but it's it should be a vital sign. Mhm. Like I, I think it's just as important as the heart rate and your respiratory rate and all these things. Like this is the window into how your gut is functioning. Yeah, I mean the eyes are the window of the soul. The poop is the window of your body. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. There you go. And, and I think it should be celebrated. <laughs> I think it should be celebrated. We should stop discriminating against it or pretending that it's worthless. It's actually quite important. Yeah, I mean so. that's how I gauge like where I'm at in my life. Honestly, like I, I hundred percent. I don't really know what I'm looking for, but I definitely take note um, of like what's happening or lack thereof in my case. You don't know what you're looking for, but you're definitely looking. Yeah, I'm looking. I know when it, yeah. I know when it's worthy of celebration, but I don't know yeah. when it's not at that celebratory level, like what that means. Yeah, no, that's good. And it, you know, it's interesting. They, they actually, someone created something called the Bristol stool scale. Great. Yeah. Have you ever heard of that? No. Is it is it photos or drawings and what it means? Like a little fortune teller thing for your poop? So the Bristol stool scale is like photos. Great. And there's seven different levels of the Bristol stool scale um, going all the way from super constipated, which is like a hard ball. We call those hard little duty balls in our house. There you go. Mm-hmm. All right. That's a type one. Because <laughs> I think once Jesse's grandma, like, you know, she had lost her filter at her late age and she like came out of the bathroom to his whole family. She's like, I just had a hard little duty ball. <laughs> so now we, we get that we woman a glass that of very mutual. <laughs> like get that woman an orange drink. She go. needs it. <laughs> if I were at the party, I'd be like, get a stat orange drink. Get it right over here. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's a type one. And then type four, right in the middle, is the classic celebrated sausage. <laughs> nice. All right. Yeah. That's, the celebrated, like, oh my gosh, that's, that's wonderful. Goal. It's like soft formed. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the opposite type seven is diarrhea where it's just like watery, mm-hmm. not even solid. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, look, people, I don't you mean do not so need graphic, to describe I it. I think we all know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Good. Cutting off from the Bristol stool scale. So yeah, no, it's it does exist, and it, it can give you. I actually think that the form of the stool can be quite um, helpful in terms of understanding where things are at with your gut. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. What do you say to people who say, "But salads upset my stomach," as they just go back to their plate of steak? You know, there's so many people that don't eat a lot of plants that once they start eating plants, they get mad because now the plants and the fiber, right, is hurting their stomach. Yeah, totally. All right. I wrote an entire chapter and I actually think that this is like probably the most important chapter of my book, chapter five, 
how to heal a sensitive gut, how to enjoy plants when you have a sensitive mm. gut. And the bottom line is this. I want people to think of the gut like a muscle. Okay. So just like we were talking about Tony Horton, we were talking about exercise. I want you to think of your gut like a muscle. What does that mean? It means that it can be trained. Mm. It can be made stronger. But if you don't use it, you lose it. Mm. All right. So it goes both ways. So if you restrict your diet and you take foods out, you're going to lose the ability to process and digest those foods. You're not going to get better at processing beans because you eliminated beans. You're going to get worse. Yeah. But on the flip side, if you exercise your gut with beans, <laughs> you will get better and stronger and more capable of processing and digesting those beans over the course of time. If I hurt my arm and my arm ends up in a cast, after you take that cast off a couple months later, it's going to be like this scrawny little arm, <laughs> right? Yeah. And you go into the gym and you wish that you could grab 35 pounds off the rack and just like start swinging those weights and screaming and like, you know, just 35. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> well, that, 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 that's, that's like, you know, just a little warm up. Just oh, the, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. You tell yourself so this, that. that yeah. <laughs> so anyway, you, you wish that you could do that and show off, right. And have the gun show. But the reality is you just got out of the cast. You got to rehab your gut. So, or you got to rehab your arm, go to the gym and grab 2.5 pounds. <laughs> now, the problem is though, that a lot of people that would prefer their steak don't even want to train them. You know, they don't want ripped bean abs. They don't want bean muscles. Okay. Enough with the metaphors. They don't care to train their bodies to eat fiber. I guess that's because they hadn't yet made the connection between every single thing that we just said up until this moment, the utter importance and sexiness of fiber, right? Because they're all like, well, why would I want to eat salad if it hurts my stomach? I don't, my steak doesn't hurt my stomach. I'm just going to keep going. But they need to read your book and listen to this podcast episode. Well, that's exactly right. I, th I honestly think that at the end of the day, these are the people who actually need the book the most. Yeah. Right? Because these are the people that they may feel fine in the short term mm -hmm. eating that diet. But is it a good long-term play? No. Like if you're trying to live healthy into your 70s, 80s, and 90s, is that going to get you there? No, it's not. I don't think it is. You know, I'm worried. I'm worried about the risk of heart disease. I'm worried about the risk of cancer in that particular person. I'm worried mm -hmm. about the risk of type 2 diabetes. And we could go down the line and look at all the top causes of death that, you know, that are in the top 10 mm. that they are potentially exposing themselves to with the long-term application of that type of diet. Mm. You know, any type of diet, we can look at the diet for like six weeks and be like, oh, it's not that bad. Look, six weeks. Right. But what happens when you do it for 10 years? Right. Right. It's like smoking. Like someone says, oh, I was a smoker. I smoked for six weeks, like when I was in high school. Okay. Do we count that? No. Because who cares? It's six weeks. But the person who smoked for 20 years is a totally different story, right. right? And the longer that you allow your body to be subjected to an unhealthy diet, the more that you're putting yourself in harm's way as we age into our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and so on. Oof. Yeah, that's the harder one. I mean, we're preaching to the choir here with this chat, you know, to, to preach to the, the different choir, the, you know, that's tough to change the other choir. I wish that I could yeah. change the other choir. <laughs> really, at the end of the day, all I can do is come forward with what I see as the highest quality information that I can possibly give you. And it's honest. Yeah. 
it's honest. Like I'm not coming at this with an agenda and I sure as hell not doing it. These ideas that I present because I think that they're going to sell me more books. So like, I, I picked fiber. Yeah. Let's talk about the right? least sexy thing in the world. That we now we think is sexy, sexier, but I'm just saying. But yeah, I know. <laughs> so do you think that the coronavirus pandemic is going to get that, that other choir more interested in doing something about their health? Like, what do you think? is going to change in society after or now or is changing? Like, what are your thoughts on that? My hope is this when it comes to Corona. I hope that on an individual basis, we get fucking pissed. Sorry, am I allowed to say that? I love when people do that. Yeah, sure. Do it. All right. It slipped out. I apologize. No, I don't care. I curse. I curse a lot. I got a little fired up right there. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I just hope that we get pissed because Things need to change. And if they don't change, it's going to be more of the same. And there's so many opportunities for us each individually to do our part and look in the mirror and say, what can I do, right? What can I do to make things better? And I honestly hope that that is the outcome because I don't think that corporations are going to change. I don't think that our society and what we value, like I think we're going to continue to care about money, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that there's so many things that are not going to change. But if each one of us looks in the mirror and says, you know what, what I'm seeing with all this, with the coronavirus and how this happened, we as humans, we need to change and I'm going to be the first one to do yeah. it. And if we all do that, then change actually does happen. But you know, if we all point to someone else and go, oh, well, they got to do something about that, it's never, then we're never going to get anywhere. That's the reality, right? Will for president. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're Trust so me, right. I definitely don't want to be up there because that Jim Acosta will be trolling me so hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. So Meet the press. The meet the press guy will be trolling me <laughs> so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Plants for president. No. So, yeah. No, I love that. I mean, it's like you're hoping that this really empowers people to just take control of their own lives. To just yeah, on an individual basis. And honestly, if you make one small choice – that's where it starts. Right. That's where it starts. One small choice. If you make it into a habit, it gets compounded over time and it keeps paying you forward with health benefits. Good habits heal. Mm. Bad habits hurt you. And are you implying that that small choice should be more fiber? Look, I come to this conversation and you're the same as me, Talia. You and I have talked about this offline. I come to this conversation talking about nutrition. You know, for me, I'm a medical doctor. I treat my patients. I treat them based upon the research. I treat them based upon what I think is best for them, period. End of story. Mm-hmm. But it also turns out to be this, the truth <laughs> that eating a plant-based diet is actually good for the environment. Mm-hmm. If people were eating a plant-based diet, there wouldn't be these wet markets that expose <laughs> us to these animal viruses. Mm-hmm. Right. And the majority of these viruses, this is going to occur again if we don't change something about our relationship with these animals. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but the problem is that we as individuals in the United States, I mean, what are we going to do? Are we going to go to war with China over the wet markets so that we can shut them down? It's a little bit silly for the country that eats the most meat in the planet mm-hmm. to be pointing the finger at them and being like, you need to change what you're doing when we're the ones eating the most meat. Mm. Right. So, I feel like we, and you're not a bad person if you eat meat. Like I'm not here to be on some sort of um, moral soapbox or something of that variety. Mm-hmm. I, but I do think that there is truly this opportunity where if you follow a plant-based diet, it actually is the path to better human health. 
And it just so turns out that the path to better human health also happens to be a path that is better when it comes to our relationship with these animals and also happens to be a path that is better when it comes to global warming, which is the other thing that I worry about because I have kids. And plants are cheap. They really are. Right? They're, meat is so much more expensive to buy than peas. What people don't realize, even if you think the meat is inexpensive, it's inexpensive because of the government subsidies that go to funding the industry. Right. Right. So at the end of the day, you're you're still paying for it with your taxes. Mm. But yeah, you know, I, I kind of feel like one of the things that I want people to understand, and I do talk about this a little bit in the book, is that these industries, you, you are the one with the power. You have the power, right? They are not imposing their diet on you. The choices that you make with your dollar empower an industry. So like if you think about it this way. The gluten-free diet, 10 years ago, the gluten-free diet was an incredibly healthy diet Mm -hmm. because there was no gluten-free processed food. Right. But then when uh, Wheat Belly and Grain Brain came out and it became very trendy to be gluten-free where like everyone was doing it, all of a sudden you see the food industry react to that and they put gluten-free processed food in front of you. That is no more healthy than the stuff that contains gluten. It's Uh, just not. I know. And it tastes worse. (laughs) Right. So at the end of the day, you're the one who has the power. If you want more organic farmers, then put your money towards organic farmers. Yeah. It's so true. I'm telling you, will for president. Will for president. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So your book also has recipes, by the way, 65 of them. Is that correct? I have to count them again. It might actually be 70, but yeah, I mean, basically in that neighborhood. In that neighborhood. What is your, I hate when people ask me what's my favorite recipe from my book. No. What is your most frequently, I can't speak, frequently made recipe from your book? I'm a huge fan of like a good curry. Mm. So, and I love a curry over like a nice grain, like a quinoa. Yep. So that to me is like, we got a chickpea curry that is just like, off the charts and it's not hard to make. Yeah, curry kind of seems intimidating, but it's it's really not. It's really not. And you know the beautiful thing, so my my recipes it's a 4-week plan. Okay? It's called the fiber fueled 4 weeks. The reason why it's 4 weeks is because when I was writing my book, I kept coming across studies where it was like, "Oh my gosh, look, after 4 weeks, this is what happens to the microbiome. Oh my gosh, look, over here, 4 weeks microbiome." So it really became the magic number. And it would have been so much easier for me to have like a 10-day detox. Oh, 10-day detox, just do this. (laughs) Four weeks had to be it. It required a lot more effort. And um, I had to remove stuff from the body of the book to make room for the four-week plan. But the point is, it is all laid out, is designed to heal the gut, is the playbook. It is not a whole 30 in the sense that you do it and you're done. What it is, is this is a jumpstart to a lifestyle that heals. I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I'm in the minority or if I'm just weird, but I don't really care for plans. I just like to learn a new way of of being. Like, the, you know, the idea of just diversity of plants, like that's my plan. Yeah. What do you think well, I about that. that? I mean, do most people like those plans? I think the thing is- I mean, is I that- hope they do because you just wrote a book with one. I'm not trying to insult you. I'm just reacting. <laughs> well, I, I am insulted, I'm but so that's sorry. okay. I'll continue to move on and I'll keep my cool <laughs> for the rest of the interview okay. and, and not try to lash out at you. <laughs> Thanks. The thing is this. I think that the, there's different people that come into this, into this equation with different needs. And that's my point. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my book is not about imposing something on you. This plan that I'm describing 
is not a rigid plan where there's only one way to do it. Every single person is going to have their own experience. And my goal is to meet you where you are. So no matter who you are, no matter what background you're coming from, you don't need to come into this plant-based. Actually, I hope that you're not because I want to try to move the needle. Yeah. The average person in the United States right now is 10% plant-based. That's how bad it is. The average person is 10% plant-based, 60% processed food-based, and 30% animal products. So they're getting three times more animal product calories and six times more processed food uh, calories than they are plants. Wait, so what, this is silly, what classifies, so the plants are the plants, the animals, the animal. what is in the processed food category? That's just like cereals and cookies? Well, it's all the stuff in the middle of the store, right? right? It's stuff that comes in a wrapper. It's stuff that, it's stuff that is sitting on the shelf for a whole year and then you open up the package and it's the same way that it was the day that it was created. I'm just trying to think like how you could possibly, I'm just so, I feel like such a jerk. I'm just so out of touch, but I don't know how you could eat the majority of that food. Like even right now where I'm quarantined, you know, I haven't been to a restaurant in four weeks. I mean, I have veggie burgers. That's I, I, you know, that's processed, right? A little bit. I mean, it depends, you know, if you're talking about like the Beyond Burger versus like a black bean burger. No, they're sold out of Beyond Burger everywhere. I wanted to get one just for funsies and um, they didn't even have it. So no, I'm eating like the real, like real veggie burgers. Nice. I'm just trying to think how one would what you would eat all day. Like if you're just eating processed, your diet's sixty percent processed food. What are you, what are you eating anyway? Well, you know people vilify carbs, so they use this word carbs, mm. and I think really what they mean is processed food, mm. right? Mm. It's like those refined carbohydrates, you know, like like um, cookies and crackers and. So it's mostly like snacky crappy. I mean, this is like yeah. a silly conversation, but you know what I'm saying. Okay, interesting. Yeah, right. So and so I guess the point from my perspective is I want to I want to meet that person who's 10%. Yeah. And I want to move them to 30 or to 40 or to 50 and I am like the biggest cheerleader ever for them. Yeah. Every single step along the way. And this this plan, Talia, you read my book, okay? And you're going to read my book and I feel like there's going to be parts of the book, the body of the text that are going to like be very specific to you where mm-hmm. you're going to a light bulb is going to go off and you're going to be like, "Oh my gosh." That explains this, mm-hmm. right? Every person that I've I've had read the book so far, they always come back to me with something different, like, oh my gosh, this one thing right there. And so so you do that, and then you come to the end, and it's the four-week plan. And you personally, Talia, would say, you know what? I actually don't want to do the four-week plan. So I don't need the weekly shopping list and like the the complete structure. Uh-huh. Instead, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pick out the recipes that sound really tasty to me. Hell yeah, I am. And you're going to pull those out and you're going to work them into your routine. And there's opportunities to basically supercharge and get more diversity of plants. That's built into the program. So this is a completely flexible thing. I even literally say, like, if it's a plant-based program, but if you want to add chicken or salmon, so be it. Yeah, my book says that too. So yeah, it's meant so to be. be. I mean, our, our books are our cousins. They're siblings. They're, they're by like, the same publisher and they're both Tauruses. <laughs> They're great cousins who get along extremely well, except sometimes the female cousin in, in, insults the male cousin oh. once in a while, but that's okay. Well, the male thinks he's so smart with his <laughs> MD and his science and studies, so excuse her. But they get together like once every two years, and it's like an amazing it's an amazing reunion. reunion, and everyone has a great time. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I feel like that's a really good way to end, even though I'm sad. What's the most exciting thing you're ready to do when coronavirus is over and you can leave your house? 
Oh, wow. That's uh, my new like wrap up question. <laughs> all right. This is, th- I think this is something that you could relate to. We have a great improv comedy uh, troupe here in Charleston. Ooh. We have a great improv comedy I wasn't comedy expecting troupe. this. And you go all the way back to w- prior to having kids and like what my wife and I used to enjoy doing. And we would go out to dinner and go to an improv show. And we don't do it as much as we used to, but we still like to do that for like a date. Mm-hmm. So I look forward to like a really nice date with my wife Aww. and going to an improv show. I, They're so fun. And you would love it. If you come to Charleston, I'm taking you to an improv I know. I, last time we said I was coming to Charleston, I'm saying it again now. When it ends, I really want to go to Charleston. So it's a, it's a double in? date. No. Oh my gosh. You would love it here. Yeah, I know. You would love and it. And Jess Mernan's there, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So we could, we could all have a planty date. We could. There's yeah, a, there's a, a good good day. crew down here. And see um, an improv show. What are you looking forward to? I'm curious. I'm just looking forward to going going out to eat. Yeah. Like in Brooklyn, you mean? No, literally anywhere. I mean, our favorite restaurant is is here by our house, the Inn at Pound Ridge. That's It's like an ABC kitchen, but um, out here in the country. And I'm just, I miss someone else cooking me food. Yeah. Like I really love, and I just love sitting there and I just... That's what I'm really looking forward to. It's coming. It's yeah. coming. We'll and just seeing humans like yeah. in the world, you know, like I I really miss eye contact and smiling. Like when whenever I go out, which is very rare now, but I have, you know, I'm wearing the mask and I can't smile at anyone. And it's so uncomfortable for me because I'm realizing just how I literally smile at every single person I see in real life. And so I'm going out and I just look like, you know, a scared animal. And I'm trying to like sometimes smile like and make my eyes look like they're smiling. But then that just seems weird. So then I just kind of look away and it's really sad and isolating. Yeah. It's like you start to second guess yourself, kind of like the word intermittent. (laughs) Intermittent. Intermittent. (laughs) But. No, I, I totally agree. I love high fives. I'm a big oh. high five guy. So, and like the high five hug combo is like a favorite of mine. <laughs> you know? Wait, double high five or one, like the bro hug, like the boom choo, or like up to up top around. Well, I like the boom choo for like the classic, like, hey, I barely know you, but I just hugged you kind oh, of deal. Okay. Like, hey, we're vibing. We're, we're friends. Like, here's the, here's the boom choo. <laughs> but like, if it's someone who knows me really well, you might pull the top gun. So Which is like, where yeah, you that? start up top. You start up top uh-huh. with a high five, okay. and then you swing it all the way down low as you walk by each other. Oh! So it goes back to the volleyball scene in the original Top Gun movie, and I'm really hoping that the, with the new Top Gun, even though it's probably going to be comically bad, I really hope that they have some of the, some of this type of stuff. You know, the gratuitous high fiving and that kind of stuff. <laughs> high-fiving. I miss high-fiving. hugs. Oh, well, you're a doctor. Do you think we're ever going to be able to high-five again? Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Um, Talia, you're going to be high-fiving again. Okay. All right. Let me just leave it at that. I could (laughs) could break down and we could spend 15 minutes. I could nerd out and like dissect all this different stuff. No, no. We're high-fiving again. Okay, guys? (laughs) We're doing it. All right. Fiber-fueled. Get it. Get it. Get it. Get it. I mean, oh, Thank you so much. This was wonderful. One of the highlights of my month, if not year. You're brilliant. You're hilarious. You're so kind. You're so smart. And I'm so lucky to have you as a friend. Talia, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. People, in case I haven't made it clear, get both of these books. Go straight to Amazon and grab Fiber Fueled for the Gut Health Knowledge and then grab Party in Your Plants 
and you will have a full book of recipes to help you to implement the knowledge that you get from Fiber Fuel. With the humor that we both brought to the table today, the lightheartedness and the love. 110%. Doctors approved. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to the Party in My Plants podcast. Not much more to say, so I'm just going to let this one sit. I also kind of have to go peep on the window into my health. You know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, wipe, wipe. (laughs) Okay, sorry. I hope you loved this chat. And if you did, please go buy Dr. B's new book, Fiber Fueled, which is as science-rich and humor-rich as this chat was. And while you're online buying a book, why don't you add mine to your cart too? Party in your plants. So you can read about fiber and laugh and then make food with fiber and also laugh. Both of our books are linked in the show notes as well as the spark notes to this chat. So head on over to partyinmyplants.com slash 182 for the plant party after party.